With Jesus, the one who gave me the victory and led me across the divine. Some morning you'll find me touring that city where within I will ever abide. Many times I have wondered what the sights of that city and all that mine eyes shall behold. I will see all the wonders when I view that city that forever be safe in the fold. Some morning you'll find me touring that city where the Son of God is the light. You'll find me there on the street so pretty, made of gold, so pure and so bright. With Jesus, the one who gave me the victory and led me across the divine. Some morning you'll find me touring that city there within I will ever abide. Here on earth we have trouble that to us seems so heavy, but in heaven no one will be sad. Mom and Dad will be singing, every praise will be ringing for the dearest friend I've ever had. Some morning you'll find me touring that city where the Son of God is the light. You'll find me there on the street, so pretty, made of gold, so pure and so bright. With Jesus, the one who gave me the victory and led me across the divine. Some morning you'll find me touring that city there within I will ever abide. Some morning you'll find me touring that city where the Son of God is the light. You'll find me there on the street so pretty, made of gold, so pure and so bright. With Jesus, the one who gave me the victory and led me across the divine. Some morning you'll find me touring that city, there within I will ever abide. There within I will ever abide. We're going to go ahead. I want to do something a little bit. It wasn't on the script, so to speak. It's not here on the, uh, our, our handout or anything. But I kind of was curious if, uh, you know, how the Lord spoke to your heart or blessed you at the conference. Now, here's what I don't want. I'm not talking about, yeah, it was a great conference. Praise the Lord. No, I don't, I don't want that. I don't want to hear about how great the preacher was either. <sighs> no, not before I preach tonight, okay? All right? No, but seriously, maybe the Lord spoke to you about something. Maybe you did something in your life, uh, made a difference, and uh, maybe there was a message that spoke to your heart, and you, you want to mention what that was about that message that really, I mean, honestly, there, there were just, I mean, four home runs hit that, four home runs. They were awesome, and uh, boy, our brother did a great job. And uh, I just got to believe that the Lord spoke to some hearts. And I just wanted to hear some testimonies. 
I thought it'd be an encouragement to those that were un unable to make it. And as we have these in the future, uh, maybe uh, the Lord will use those kind of testimonies to inspire others to be a part of it, okay? So um, maybe if somebody, um, let's start on this side. Maybe somebody over here that has one. If not, that's fine. But I just thought I'd at least ask uh, any testimonies over here. Uh, we have one right here in front there, Caleb, if you could. There you go. If you could speak into the mics, too. I know you're kind of, it's intimidating, but it helps. Um, so having, had a bit, having a big family was um, kind of a really um, exciting thing to hear from him about. Um, so what really spoke to me was the way he allowed his older children to kind of help raise up the younger ones. Sure. And um, I see that in my children a lot where they try to encourage but maybe not quite in the right way so it kind of encouraged me to want to teach them how to be that um, mm -hmm. you know parental figure as he was kind of saying in their lives without relinquishing my power you know so. sure yeah that, that was interesting and and again it's one of those things that if you have children spread out you've probably noticed that the older ones are trying to kind of mother or father the the littler ones but Obviously, his children are really spread out. What, 25 and as young as uh, three? I mean, that's, that's a big spread of, of way, way out there. And like you said, that, I mean, more power to him. <laughs> but, but <laughs> 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 Ooh, wow. I used to tell him, <laughs> okay, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to, yeah, great, great thought. <laughs> All right. Anybody else? Uh, somebody maybe over here. Okay, we got somebody over here. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that's, that was great. It's just good to hear those kind of things. I, mine wasn't about the preacher, but I think Brother Jurgen did a class, and it was about influence. And I think that spoke to me the most is that we all influence someone, whether we want to or not. So we make the decision on if we're going to influence them for the better or for the worse. Mm. So I think that's really like make me want to evaluate my life and hey how am i at work how am i at church or outside just in public you know it's good so that was great amen yeah absolutely someone says that's supposed to be a family conference yeah, oh yeah absolutely there's nothing but influencing going on in families right that was a really great session and it was helpful anybody else have you ever okay we got another one right here and then we'll we'll move on over My biggest thing was decisions that I'm, I've been praying about and when he talked about the Good Samaritan. Mm. And only God's love through Christ can we overcome. And we're vulnerable when we're weak and that man that was beaten was mm. dying. And it took another person to oversee everything and love him. And God uses us. Christ loves Amen. us. heals us, but we go to him to overcome things that... And decisions that need to be made. He needed help, and it took another man that he didn't know to do that. And it was just a real personal um, blessing. Amen. But God spoke to my heart about decisions that I had to make. And Amen. I'm so thankful for that. The whole service, the whole, the whole evening was wonderful, of course. But Amen. that's what spoke to me. I mean, all of us are in different places and going through different things, and God uses all of that to just help each one of us where we're at. And that's awesome. That was great. Anybody else? I thought I saw a hand. Oh, okay, over here. And then we have over here as well. So when he uh, was talking about the graffiti on the back wall and how yeah. he blew up 
and that moment was lost. Um, I see evidence in that in my, li in my life about that where I can blow mm -hmm. up and I just, it, it helped me to analyze and to realize, to step back, to see the whole picture and then react. Yeah. So that was good. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think that if uh, all of us, uh, most of us, not all of course, but most of us, if we were honest, we would have to admit we've had those kind of moments and then we've also experienced the regret of those moments. And praise the Lord for a reminder again how important it is to control our tempers and to do our best to be supportive and encouraging even in the midst of eh, seemingly crazy things. <laughs> that was some story. And again, if you missed it, I'm sorry, we don't have time to rehash all that, but that was excellent, really. It was a tremendous point. Right here, uh, yeah, Caleb, thank you. I appreciated each speaker uh, sharing the gift that they're given. Uh, one of the significant one to me was uh, the growth stages. Each one of us is either a child or a young person or um, a parent um, in our growth stage. And sometimes when we get into the, um, unlike the child stage, uh, any of the upper stages, we tend to judge those that are um, in the child stage. Like, why are they still living in that sin? They may not even know it's a sin. Um, and we judge characters and people. Um, so it took a new perspective to carefully evaluate my teaching uh, methods rather than a judging method uh, to um, other believers. Yeah, I don't think that his emphasis was that we all judge people. That wasn't the issue. I do want to clarify something. First of all, the father doesn't judge. That was the point. The father stage doesn't. And, and what, what she's getting at, and again, she's trying to kind of rehash what was expressed, but early on as children, he was mentioning the point that basically it's all relational. Everything's about relationships. And then you move into the young men, and the young men are doctrinal. And therefore, sometimes that element of doctrine has a tendency to overshadow relationship. And it's like, what are you talking about? You're all emotional. You're all about relationships. Man, there's doctrine. There's right and wrong. And that's where the judging can come into place. Then the father stage, there's that balance, recognizing the need for the relationships as well as the doctrine and trying to find that balance and encourage those in relationships as well to be doctrinal. And so it was. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm in the same boat. I thought that that was probably the most for me, that was the most powerful of all four, just like you're saying, too. I agree with you 100%. And uh, it, was, it was very impactful. But you're right. There, there's an element of uh, we can become somewhat judgmental for not careful. However, we must remain doctrinal. And I just want to emphasize that because judgmental does not necessarily mean that you – doctrine doesn't mean judgmental. We have to be careful with that. One of the biggest things that we're running into in our churches today is that people are saying, well, this church isn't a church of love. It's not about relationships. And I think he nailed it. And it's, there's doctrine. There's truth that must be upheld. But there also has to be grace that's extended to those who are new in the, the faith. The bad part is today in our churches, and I'm just going to say this, is that it's not the babies that are giving us the problem now. It's those that have been in church for years that are now starting to go backwards. They're forgetting, leaving the doctrine behind and going back to relationship only. And they're discarding the word of God and doctrine, and they're saying, you guys are meanie meanies, and we want to go somewhere where people just love one another no matter what. Well, 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 well there, there is right and wrong. And so that message, 
was probably, that's why I told him, I think that that's a message that needs preached across this country. And uh, it's so powerful. I've never heard a message put quite the way he put it. And uh, it was worth hearing again. And uh, I'm going to listen to it again when I get, I think those are all recorded if you, you said so. And I'm going to go ahead and watch that again because it's so, so, so important and so powerful. And uh, uh, Diana, your young money, that was so powerful. It was, it, it just blowing me away. Just thinking about it. It's so good. You need to listen to it. If you weren't at the conference, you need to listen to that message, okay? Anybody else? Yeah, go ahead, Don. Um, he's coming. Yeah. What y'all were just talking about was most impactful, but something that was very convicting to me and helped me realize that Moses messed up the pattern. Mm. And I think, how many times have I done that? Yeah. And I'm, I'm like, Lord, I don't want, not just for myself, but Lord, but I've got children, I've got grandchildren. I don't want to mess up the pattern for them. I want them to see God in me and through me. Yeah. And so that was very convicting to me. I, I really appreciate yeah. that. that was... <clears throat> yeah, he effectively pointed out that everything's a pattern in the Bible and that ultimately when we break that pattern, we affect the next generation. It's a negative impact. And uh, that, that was powerful too. Absolutely. I mean, there, again, the guy, the guy did a great job. I mean, honestly, um, he, he did fabulous uh, you missed it. I'm telling you, the guy, that was some good preaching. I mean, it, it, was, it was teaching and preaching. It was kind of a balance, but it was excellent. And uh, I, I was taken by it, to be honest with you. I didn't expect that from him when I first met him. Uh, he just seemed like a normal Joe, but, man, I'll tell you what, the Lord's on that. He's all over Brother Shepherd. That's really good stuff. The Lord's all over him. And uh, you pray for him. And the reason I say that is this. Um, the Lord can use him to help a lot of people. But that means the devil will be after him, too. You pray for Brother Shepherd, would you? Just pray for him and his family because uh, they've got a great family, but the devil's going to be fighting them, I promise you that. All right. Um, oh, okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, um, I had the opportunity to hear two messages and be in his session about goal setting. And one of the things that really spoke to me was you could tell that everything he does is for a purpose, especially in raising his family. And so as I am now entering that stage with having a child now, it's, I can't just get lost in the everyday activity, but have purpose behind all of my activity. My child won't live for Christ just because we do the activity, but he has a purpose behind it and a method to get them there. And so I thought that was really, really good. Just a specific purpose and a method behind every activity. Amen. Yeah, Absolutely. Tremendous. Anybody else? That was very good, too. Yeah. Okay, over here, and um, we have two more. We'll, we'll go here and here, okay? Uh, I agree with, uh, with Don. I've never said that before, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're family, okay? Go ahead. But that was, uh, that was one of the most impactful <laughs> messages to me about the, the, the pattern, uh, because uh, he was talking about even the, you know, the kids getting up at night, I do the same thing, kind of shake the bed, wake Kate up, and you know, right. deal with that, and I think a lot of us can relate to That's that. a good pattern. That's a very good pattern. <laughs> but uh, you know, I looked at my own life, and I realized, wow, I have the whole you know, rod of iron down as far as uh, you know, ruling, you know, you're going to do what I say because I said it, and, uh, and exhibiting those other attributes mm-hmm. of, of God, and I think that was so impactful when he said about uh, how the Father's never going to leave us or forsake us, and, and how he wanted his, uh, his son to 
to see him that, okay, I'm going to stay here with you. And when you wake up, I promise I'll be here. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so many times I just get it in my head as far as, you know, no, I'm the parent, you're the child, you just obey. And I, I fail sometimes to exhibit the, the long suffering and the, the patience mm-hmm. of, uh, of our Heavenly Father. So that was very impactful. Yeah, <clears throat> and again, I'm not, I'm not trying to correct anybody, but he, what he did not mean is that you let your kids do what they want and you have to be patient and deal with it. That wasn't the emphasis at all there. And if you were here, you'd understood that. Uh, obviously, their children are, are doing extremely well. They're very disciplined, obviously. But by the same token, it's, you know, just like Brother Josh was saying, it's very important that we try to exhibit more than just the iron rod. There's so much more to being a, a just a, what do we call it, a, um, a picture of the Father. And uh, that was good. That was really good. And, uh, yeah, that, I thought that was kind of neat. I sat and chuckled when I heard that because I thought, I probably was guilty of that a few times myself. But anyway, over here, one more, right there. That was good. I was struck by the, the uh, versatility he had with, an eight, with uh, children of the age span he did, how he was re- recognizing <coughs> reaction, reaction, react, the relationality between himself and his youngest children, and yet my impression was, for the most part, in setting his goals and everything he laid out, he had individual... Uh, approaches to, the, to his older children and how he was applauding and supporting him more than that mentoring the older people as they laid out their goals and he saw and he applauded and he enforced and advised and those types of things uh, first of all in the goal setting and then what struck me by the, the closing meeting was what I saw was I often wondered why is it that there are churches that will last a generation or two, and that's basically from the fact that pastors, for the most part, in those types of areas of, of ministry, uh, aren't emphasizing the doctrine and the fact that doctrine supports relationality, and also that those two grow together. If they don't, then we have children who are senior citizens, and in most cases, those churches grow. And they form the normal bell-shaped curve where they top out, whatever, and then they decline because they lack the doctrine and the ability to continue and to transfer from a parent, from a person, to God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the other thing that that struck me was when I look at the different administrations I've seen in our federal government, we go from people who care about this country as a father should, as the government and the our constitutional republic dictates us to do that to a relational thing where it's just my party and who cares about the rest of the country. And I think that happens a lot, not only in companies, but in the federal government. And that's where we are now, unfortunately. That we lack the ability to, that it, it more is a matter of an R or a D after your name as opposed to the fact that, yes, I'm a Republican, you're maybe a Democrat, but we're all Americans, mm-hmm. and we're here to support this constitutional republic, that we are, in fact, a unique country in the planet, that we're not just an ordinary democracy the way our president says we are. And we all have responsibility as being those that elect representatives and those who elect senators and those who are responsible for what our government does and we we'll let them get away with. 
to the tune where we're in the trillions of dollars now in debt. Sure. And it just keeps going because we say, here, here's the man who's going to give me what I want or give me something for nothing. And that's what we go with instead of someone who's going to be disciplined. And we can discipline sure. ourselves and discipline our government. You didn't think you, <clears throat> you didn't think you were going to get a civics lesson tonight, did you? It's, you're getting you're getting more than you bargained for, aren't you? <clears throat> no, I, I appreciate that, brother. Thank at you. At the age of 79, that's where my thought is in Margaret. Sure. Because we have children and grandchildren who will amass an Absolutely. unbelievable and redeemable debt. There's so much crossover, isn't there, between the home and our government oh, and yes. our businesses and just the way we run our lives. And so it's just uh, amazing. And again, if you weren't here, it's hard to it's hard to you can't explain it. There was just some tremendous truths that were shared. And I appreciate the testimonies, and they were all spot on. I, I, I apologize because I sound like I'm trying to correct some of you. I wasn't. That's not my goal at all. It's just that if you don't, you, can, you hear what you want to hear. This is the problem today. People hear what they want to hear. So when we make a statement, people don't hear what you're saying. They hear what they're thinking it's, you're saying. And so sometimes I find myself wanting to kind of go, hey, let me kind of rein that in a little because I'm a fearful that that thought will it'll go a different direction than you intended it to. Because I know that there's not a person in here that gave a testimony that isn't spot on with what he was teaching and saying. And so I just want to make sure that those who weren't here don't misunderstand what was being said. I said something at the... Um, the place I preach on Sunday afternoons. I, whatever. Okay, so anyway, I said, I, I was teasing. Remember in my, my session, I, I used the same verse because I taught my session to them. I only did the first point of my session. Okay, but I, I was reading through that scripture in Titus where it says that, that the older, that the... Um, uh, what's it, the, the, the women are to drink just a little, you know, little, you know, what was it, not much wine. And I made the statement, I said, so I said, I, I've been saying all along in this, and whether it was my church or wherever, that men, ladies, don't forget, not much wine. Well, I realized I felt something there. They didn't think I was joking. I had to clarify that. And so sometimes we say things, and it doesn't get received the way we thought it would <laughs> and you have to explain I'm like oh okay let me explain that real quick and you can just feel the room go <sighs> so anyway all right <laughs> revelation chapter 2 verse 10 yep we, we spent a little bit of time on that I'm gonna we'll move quickly through this as a whole I think revelation chapter 2 verse 10 <clears throat> I'm going to read one passage, we'll, we'll run, get right into this, and uh, we'll move along here. But <clears throat> Chapter 2, verse 10. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and Ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. Father, bless us now. We need you. Be glorified in this message. Lord, these, these next few moments, 
May you be exalted. We love you. We thank you. Uh, fill me with your spirit and allow me to be your mouthpiece. Lord, in this old flesh, I can say some of the craziest things. I pray, dear God, that you would just help me to just muzzle my tongue and help me to only say those things which you'd once said. Lord, it will do no good for me to share my flesh with anybody. Lord, I certainly need you. Father, to guide my lips and my tongue, Lord, help me to be a mouthpiece. Now, Lord, be with every listening ear. May we hear exactly what you would have for us. In Christ's name, amen. <clears throat> in the opening chapters of Revelation, we find seven literal churches being addressed and written to. Those seven churches historically existed. They were literally there. They, they were there during John's day, and uh, we know that many of them even continued after John's day. But not only were these literal churches that existed in those days, but they were also representative of the professing church down through the church age. Now, as we think about that, we think, okay, so did the early church fathers know that uh, the book of Revelation, chapters 2 and 3, was a, a summary, if you will, of the church age? Uh, no, they didn't know that. It wasn't revealed to them. If it would have been revealed to them, they'd have had no reason to wait on the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the distinctive characteristics that we recognize in each and every one of those particular churches seems to kind of continue through uh, the years, if you will, and even the, the, the uh, centuries until finally we arrive at the church at Laodicea where I believe we now find ourselves. Uh, Laodicea meaning the people's rights, and it seems that the church has found itself in a place where it feels uh, almost like, unfortunately, we're training our children in our culture, in our country today, this kind of... Um, you know, you deserve something mentality, you know, and, and unfortunately that seems to be the case in the church at Laodicea, and they're not seeing themselves for what they should be, they're not recognizing their shortcomings like they ought to, and this passage, or these passages here in chapters 2 and 3, address that professing church, and of course we know how it all ends in apostasy, and it's a mess. And this particular passage we're reading from in verse 10 of chapter 2 is written to the church at Smyrna, which many believe represents the period of time between 100 and 325 A.D. Again, you say, show me that in Scripture. I can't. I'm not going to even try. But I do think that there's some merit to this, and I do believe there's something to it. And as we look at that particular time period, uh, we note that he goes on to say, ye shall have tribulation ten days. It's believed or it's been said that probably they re that refers to the ten great persecutions from the Roman emperors, beginning with Nero, right on through to Diocletian in A.D. 310. So about 64 A.D. to 310. So there were these horrible persecutions that took place. We're noting here in the passage that, that it represents more than just a historical church, but it represents a time period in history, and it affected so many people. And this tribulation that took place, there was an admonition given by the Lord in the midst of it all. He exhorted them to be faithful unto death. He's saying, I don't care, uh, you know, I, I don't care what happens in your life. It doesn't matter how you're treated by the world or how you're treated even by fellow believers. You need to be consistent and faithful and have no thought of turning back. Be willing to give your life if need be, is what he's saying. 
In 1 Corinthians 15, 58, the Bible says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Why do we need to stay steadfast? Why do we need to remain unmovable? Why do we need to remain faithful? Well, that's what I want to share with you. Three simple reasons to remain faithful tonight. Three simple reasons. Number one, there is a generation to follow. <clears throat> There's a generation to follow. You know, their future depends upon us remaining faithful. The state that we lead this world in when we go does matter. It matters. What will the church look like when we leave it? Now, there's people of various ages in our room tonight. <clears throat> you know, I'm, I'm going to be 60 here in another few months, and there's others that are just turning 6, and others that are 16, and others that are 36. And you know what? We're all at different stages and ages of our lives, and the fact is, is that some of us will check out sooner than others. But when we leave, whether you're 6 or whether you're 60, when we leave this life, how will this world look? How will the church look? I mean, will there still be faith exhibited? Will there still be standards that are, 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 are shared? Will there still be a Bible that's believed to be faithful and true? In Luke chapter 18, verse 8, we read, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? Is he going to find faith on the earth? When you leave, will there be faith? <clears throat> between A.D. 800 and 1000. Some European Anabaptists were ridiculed with certain names. They were given names. For instance, Waldensians. That was given to them because of the geographical location that they lived in. They were in the valleys of, in the, in the, valleys of the Alps, and as a result, they were called Waldensians. Some were also nicknamed Catharai. Why were they called Catharai? They were called the purer ones, that meaning Catharai pure ones, because they insisted on a regenerate church uh, membership, because they said you have to have evidence of holy living. So they're called Catharai, meaning pure ones. Members had to be saved, and they were expected to live holy lives and separated from the world. Peter, Alex, lived between A.D. 1641 and 1717. He was a scholar, if you will, a historian of the Church of England. He furnishes us a list of 33 errors charged against these Anabaptists by the Jacobite priest, Rainerius. While some of the charges obviously are false, there are others that are maybe twisted truth. The fact is, is that these excerpts or this particular portion that he writes describes doctrine and the practice of these Baptists way back there. Way back there, I should say, on your looking at me. <clears throat> now here he goes on to say, now listen closely what he says and how he describes these Baptists. Understand that he's writing in 1641 about Baptists that lived even before him. Back, way back, 800, 1,000 A.D. <clears throat> they affirm that they alone are the church of Christ and his disciples. They declare themselves to have apostolic authority in the keys of binding and loosing. They hold the church of Rome to be the great whore of Babylon. And all that obey her are damned. By the way, 
If you believe what the Catholic Church teaches, that is true. We don't talk much like that today because we're afraid of losing people out of our pews. But unfortunately, people are dying going to hell because we're unwilling to say those things. <clears throat> but the truth is, you do not believe that works get you to heaven because if you do, you don't go there. They hold that none of the ordinances of the church, referring, every time you hear church here, it'll be the Roman Catholic Church, who was in charge in the Middle Ages. Ordinance of the church that have been introduced since Christ's ascension ought to be observed. Meaning that they, excuse me, hold that none of the ordinances of the church that have been introduced since Christ's ascension ought to be observed as being of no worth. The feasts, fasts, orders, blessings, offices of the church, and the like, they utterly reject. They say that then first a man is baptized when he is received into their sect. They do not believe the body and blood of Christ to be the true sacrament, but only blessed bread, which by a figure only is called the body of Christ in like manner as it is said, and the rock was Christ, and such like. According to them, there is no purgatory, and all that died do immediately pass either into heaven or hell that therefore the prayers of the church for the dead are of no use. They hold that the saints in heaven do not hear the prayers of the faithful or regard the honors which are done to them. They add that the saints do not pray for us. Wherefore also they deride all the festivals which we celebrate in honor of the saints and all other instances of our veneration for them. They do not observe Lent or other fasts of the, of, of the church. They do not receive the Old Testament, but the gospel only, that they may not be overthrown by it, but rather be able to defend themselves therewith, pretending that upon the coming of the gospel, all old things are to be laid aside. I don't know about you, but he's nailing it. He's talking about people that lived between 800 and 1000 A.D., now, wait a second. If I'm not mistaken, that was before the Protestant Reformation. That's before we came into existence, according to the world. Well, the first Baptist was 1600 and blah, blah, blah. Oh, I see. But not Baptist in doctrine. We have them Waldensians and we have those Catharii and we have others that throughout the centuries that believed exactly like we believe biblically that held their ground and stood their place and said, we'll not bend or break. And they left a legacy, a legacy of faith to the next generation, to where today, we stand today, hearing the same exact message that was preached in 800 AD, the same message that was preached out of the very mouth of the apostles, the same message that was preached 500 years ago and 300 years ago and just even this past morning. The same message. These Baptists lived hundreds of years before the Protestant Reformation. They remained separate from the Roman Catholic Church and they maintained the same doctrine and practice for which modern Baptists still stand today. So when we pass the baton, what condition will we leave the church in and what condition will the church be found in? Will our children's children see the need to remain separated from the wicked world in which they live? Will they stand firm and profess the word of God as the sole source of faith and practice? Will they remain separatist and stand strong on the fundamentals of the faith? 
As our preacher said, and as was brought up by Diana, the, 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 this, the doctrine is important. It's important. We can't dismiss it. Because if we don't lay the foundation the way we ought to, if the doctrine is not the basis for which we stand, all will crumble. I wonder if they'll uphold the belief in a Bible that's perfect, inspired, inerrant, infallible, and eternal. How about the virgin birth and the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ? Salvation by grace through faith and the premillennial return of Jesus Christ. Will they continue to stand on believer's baptism and church membership? What condition will we leave the next generation in spiritually? What, what will we do? How will it look? Well, we have a responsibility to pass down those core beliefs and values. Amen. We need to do that. We think about some Baptist distinctives. We would say, well, biblical authority, of course. We believe the Bible. It's the Word of God. It addresses our, it's the, the sole source of our faith and practice. Biblical authority. It's God's Word. Freedom of conscience. Separation of church and state. The New Testament church. Local, visible, and autonomous. Regeneration, or excuse me, regenerate believers' baptism. And it's by immersion. The perpetuity of the New Testament church, that it's going to go on, that it's His church. The premillennial return of Jesus Christ. These are fundamentals. These are literally very simple but very core beliefs that are outlined in Scripture that we must pass on to the next generation. And I wonder, will we effectively transmit those beliefs Will we transmit our faith to the next generation? Because if they don't embrace these, it will stop. Their, as we said earlier, their future depends on it, but also their faith depends upon it. Our faithfulness will inspire faith in them. In 2 Timothy 1.5, we read, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, I am persuaded that in thee also. Maria Dyer, <clears throat> she was born in 1837 on the mission field. She was in a mission field in China where her parents were pioneer missionaries. Both her parents died when Maria was just a little girl. and She was sent back to England to be raised by her uncle. The loss of her parents, however, did not deter her young heart from the importance of sharing the gospel. At the age of 16, her and her sister both returned to China to work in a girls' school as a missionary. Five years later, Maria married a man by the name of Hudson Taylor. Of course, he's well known today for ministry and faith and sacrificial living. Hudson and Taylor Hudson and Maria's work was often criticized, even by other Christians, unfortunately. At one point, Maria wrote, quote, as to the harsh judgings of the world or the more painful misunderstandings of Christian brethren. Don't you like how she said that? 
I generally feel that the best plan is to go on with our work and leave God to vindicate our cause. Of their nine children, only four survived to adulthood. Maria herself died of cholera when she was just 43. But she believed the cause was worthy of sacrifice. On her grave marker, these words were inscribed. For her to live was Christ, and to die was gain. Listen, there can be no doubt that Maria and her sister were both inspired by her parents. Parents who served on the mission field. Parents who sacrificed in China as pioneer missionaries. Parents who ultimately died at a very young age, leaving the two girls to fend for themselves and be ultimately shipped off to their uncle's house and raised without mom and dad. Their unwavering love and commitment to Christ, though, I believe, talking about the parents now, left an indelible impression upon Maria and her sister. There can be no doubt that these girls must have seen something in mom and dad that inspired them to do the same thing, even though it might cost them the same price. And it did. Can I tell you that their faith was a byproduct of mom and dad's faith and faithfulness? Our faithfulness will inspire faith in them. Our children's faith will be no deeper and take them no further than ours will. The fact is that we must establish a foundation of faith and faithfulness for our children. If our faith is not genuine and we're not consistent, they're never going to follow in our footsteps. (laughs) I don't know why I just threw this in. It just seemed... I liked it. A father and a son went fishing one day. And after a couple of hours out in the boat, the boy suddenly got kind of curious. And he's just seeing the world around him. He finally asked his dad. He said, hey, listen, Dad, how does this boat float? The father thought for a moment. And he said, you know, I don't rightly know, son. The boy just kept on thinking. And just after a little bit of while, he turned back to his dad. And he said, hey, Dad, How do fish breathe underwater? And dad looked at him and was like, I I don't rightly know, son. The little boy, he was so inquisitive, he finally said, Dad, why is the sky blue? You know, I don't rightly know, son. I don't don't know. Little boy kind of got worried that he was annoying his daddy, and <clears throat> he said, "Hey, Dad, Dad, do you, do you do you mind if you mind me asking you all these questions?" His dad said, "Well, of course not, son. If you don't ask questions, you'll never learn anything." <laughs> he said, "Why'd you put that in there? I don't know, but I thought it was really cute." Our children, our, our children. And the next generation need us to step up our spiritual game. Now, we do need some answers for our children, don't we? And you know what? This idea that we can just go ahead about our lives and we can neglect the Word of God and we can just hope that our children catch it through osmosis or maybe through somebody else or possibly the pastor's preaching. Friend, that's not the way it works. we got to step up our game. we got to have some answers to the questions. 
We can't expect somebody else to do for our children in the next generation what God intended us to do. Why must we remain faithful? First, there's a generation to follow. But you want to know something else? There's a judgment awaiting. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, because of time, I'm going to fly right through this, but first, it says, For we must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether they be good or whether they be bad. You know, <clears throat> it is only the Christian who's in view there in that passage. Only the Christians are being addressed. We talked about that Wednesday. All that we have... All that we have hidden shall be revealed. It's going to be revealed in that day. The things we've done in the body will come back to us. Whether good or bad, it doesn't matter. They're coming back. Every pious thought and every thought of sin too. Every secret prayer and every secret curse. Every unknown deed of charity and every hidden deed of selfishness. We're going to see them again. All of them are coming back. And though we've not remembered them for years, or perhaps we've even forgotten them altogether, we're going to have knowledge of them in that day. They're going to come back to us, flooding back. Hebrews chapter 4, 13 says, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Man, there's nothing we're going to be able to hide in that day. It's coming back. Boy, it's so important to remember all the time that there's a judgment that awaits and we must be prepared. And Daniel Webster made this quote. He said, my greatest thought is my accountability to God. If there is one thing Webster said that he thinks about, that it dwells on, that, that consumes his thought, it's the idea that he's accountable to God. You may know Daniel Webster through his dictionary. During his 1960 presidential campaign, John F. Kennedy often closed his speeches with the story of Colonel Davenport, the Speaker of the Connecticut House of Representatives. One day in, eight, in 1789, the sky of Hartford darkened. I mean, it was an ominous, ominous looking sky. And some of the representatives, glanced out, glancing out the window, man, they got afraid. They became fearful. They thought the end was at hand. They thought it is over. In order to put to silence all the clamor and all the cries to adjourn, Davenport rose and he said, the day of judgment is either approaching or it is not. If it's not, there's no cause for adjournment. If it is, I choose to be found doing my duty. Therefore, I wish that candles be brought. Bring the candles, but don't adjourn. It's not time to quit. It's time to keep on going. We need to be diligent about our duty. We need to be faithful to the end. Why? Because there's a generation to follow, and there is a judgment awaiting. And finally, there's a Savior who loves you. That's a good reason to remain faithful. A Savior who loves you. At the age of 17, <clears throat> a young girl by the name of Johnny Erickson Tata broke her neck in a diving accident in the Chesapeake Bay. 
be a horrible thing, wouldn't it? She dove in and landed on her head and it snapped her spinal cord. She became paralyzed from the shoulders down. In spite of her physical limitations, she became a very accomplished author. Many years ago, she married a husband by the name of Ken, her husband Ken. For her wedding, she had planned to come down the the center aisle in her motorized wheelchair. Just before her grand entrance, however, she noticed two distressing problems. First, she had rolled over her beautiful gown and made a big grease spot and tore it in the process. Then the flowers in her lap had slipped and had lodged between her legs and the chair. Again, she could do nothing to help herself. She could, had no use of her arms or her legs. She was filled with disappointment. And then suddenly the doors of the auditorium swung open and she saw her husband-to-be. She said, here was the man who was committing his love and life to me. She would later say, once I saw Ken's face, all I could think of was him. Everything else, the people in the church, the flowers that were sitting a little askew on my lap, the fact that my dress didn't fall right because I was sitting in a wheelchair, the grease marks and the rip in my gown, all of it paled in comparison. And you know that everything else fades from view and importance at the sight of Him who loves us. When we see Christ, He's going to be all that really matters to us. Paul reminds us of the power that the love of Christ has on his life and the power that it should have in the lives of every believer. When we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, he says, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. Again, the love of Christ constraineth us. What he's saying is the driving force in his life was love. It controlled him. It constrained him. To constrain means to compel or force, to urge with irresistible power or with a power sufficient to produce the effect. It wasn't Paul's love for Christ. It was Christ's love for Paul that made the big difference. That's what moved him so much, that Christ could love him where he was, the way he was, Our love may wax and wane, but God's love is perfect, as our preacher mentioned even in our sessions. And it is unconditional, and it never fails. In 1 Corinthians 13, 8, we read, charity never faileth. But then again, as human beings, how many things would we do for love that we would never do for anything else? For any other reason. It's amazing to me, the most burly man in the room would sit down at tea with his toddler daughter and even extend his little pinky while drinking a spot of tea. An invisible tea at that. I still remember years ago, and I'm going to embarrass my mother, but I remember being just a young kid the time we were attending the Salvation Army. They had a playground right there beyond the 
the, the, right there was the church and right there was a playground. And the kids, we would run to the playground and have a good time uh, because my mother talked to everybody so long. Okay, so maybe it was my dad. But anyway, <clears throat> it was my dad. But I still remember playing on that playground Sunday after Sunday so many times. And there was this one day we went over to play in that playground and there were some older girls there. And they were big, burly girls. And they weren't very nice girls. Now, we were just little kids. And I still remember uh, I had a pair of glasses that I wore from the time I was five years old. And this one girl eventually took my glasses from me and would not give them back. Man, we pleaded with them. We begged her. And boy, they were, they were threatening us. And they wouldn't give those glasses back. And oh, you big babies, blah, 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 blah. You know, the whole deal. And then my mother came out. All five foot, one and a half. 110 pounds soaking wet, I would imagine. I mean, with bananas in her pockets and anything else she could grab because she wasn't very big at all. And these girls were big. They were nasty girls. But I still remember my mother. She didn't put up with nothing. I mean to tell you, I thought she was going to throw down that day. You didn't mess with her. You know why? Because of her love for us. My mother would never have gotten into a fight with girls over something, even a pair of glasses. But what was wrong is that those girls were doing something against her children. And she loved those children. And it caused her to do something she would not normally do. Can I tell you, love will constrain us. Love will move us and it will motivate us. And I'll tell you what, we need to remain faithful. We've got to remain faithful because there's a Savior who loves you. Man, that ought to move you. It ought to motivate you to remain consistent and faithful to the Lord Jesus and to ultimately leave the kind of legacy to the next generation that we must leave. We've got to stay faithful. There's a generation to follow. We've got to stay faithful. There's a judgment that awaits. We have to stay faithful. There's a Savior who loves us. Let's just stay faithful. Let's just not give up or give in. Stay faithful. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for the opportunity that we've had to gather here today. We thank you for the, just the privilege it is to be able to open up your word. And Lord, we know, Father, that, Father, that we're just humans. And Lord, we're, none of us are perfect. We make so many mistakes. We even sin against you at times. But Lord, the truth is we know you do love us. And you make provision for us to confess our sin even and then to forsake it. Thank you for the many blessings you give to us. Thank you for saving us when we're so, we do not even deserve it. Your marvelous grace. Thank you so much for that. For your mercy. Lord, we're so glad that we're not going to get what we do deserve, but we get what we don't deserve. Father, we just ask, Lord, that you would just bless us tonight. And Lord, may we just commit ourselves to staying faithful. I think about those saints back in the Middle Ages who were losing their lives because of their stand. They would not give up, nor would they give in. It cost them dearly. But Lord, we are now here because of their willingness to pay the price. They knew you loved them. They knew there was a generation to follow. 
they recognized, Lord, that there was a judgment that awaited, that there was something more than just the today, there was the future. Father, help us, Lord, to not live any other way but eternally, to focus on eternity, to see the long, just to see the, the, the distance, to look past the immediate. We'll thank you, we'll praise you in Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand, every head bowed, every eye closed.